Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast Podcast. Thank you for joining us for our summer series titled, When God's People Pray. Being consistent in prayer is a struggle for many believers, yet the Bible makes it clear that the church should be called a house of prayer. Jesus promises to do a powerful work in and through us if we would simply humble ourselves and seek his face. That's what this series is all about. Grab your Bibles and let's jump in. I'm really excited to be here. Um, you know, I took a couple weeks vacation and was gone. And as we were ending our vacation, we're like, oh, we miss our church. So we came on that, that last Sunday and snuck in for second service. But uh, I was bummed to miss the opening of this series. I've since been able to go back and listen um, to Pastor Ryan's. And of course, I was here last week for Mike Carroll. Very excited about this series because this is where the Lord has been pressing into me for a while. And, and by the way, just so we're clear, I, I, don't, I, don't, I definitely do not feel like I've got this handled. Uh, he is teaching me so much, um, even through these two messages, that uh, I think we're, just, we're going on this ride together, I hopefully, tonight. So I want to do just a tiny bit of review. Uh, so week one, Pastor Ryan, he spoke and emphasize the importance of prayer. I asked him what his title was. Is it like whatever you want it to be? So this is what I'm putting down, the importance of prayer. But he asked the question, what is prayer? And I think that was kind of a subtitle in there. And, and he quoted another pastor, and this is what that pastor said. Prayer is the key that unlocks deeper intimacy with God, greater understanding of ourselves, and true power for change. And I thought that was really rich. That, I mean, that personally spoke to me. And then he, he, Pastor Ryan mentioned Luke chapter 6, verse 12. Um, it says it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. Uh, he also mentioned Matthew. I think you're going to see a theme kind of through these first three that Matthew is going to be mentioned a lot. But Matthew 21, 13, he mentioned, My house shall be called a house of prayer. And, and certainly he was referring to the temple. And what are we? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we are this house this body ought to be a house of prayer. And at the core of prayer, I think we can all agree, is our desperate need to be an intimate fellowship with the Father. That we, that we would receive His power through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And, and that's why Jesus went up on the mountain to pray. And, and Ryan mentioned last week as well Ezekiel 37, speaking of the dry bones. And this, this imagery that was there, that, that until the breath of God was breathed on them, the Spirit moved, it was just a shell. And, and, and sometimes that's the way we can be, I can be for certain, that I can be a shell outwardly looking all right, but in, inwardly not alive as, as I should be. And then, of course, John 20, 22, where Jesus breathes on the disciples to receive the Holy Spirit and again, that reminder that we are not to be mere shells, but that we are to be living, living and active in God. And our response to our need is to follow up, follow in the prayerful steps of Jesus, to be alone in prayer with our Father, waiting upon Him as we seek the Holy Spirit. So I know that you guys spent some time together just waiting on the Lord. And then last week, Mike Carroll taught and he brought our attention to uh, Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 5 through 13. 
and our, our need to understand how to pray, and, and not giving us a, a formula to pray, rather a model. And we'll see that again as, as he talked about that in Jesus' message there to the disciples. He provides a model, not a method, a model for prayer. And Mike reminded us that to be more effective in our godly public prayers requires us to be diligent in our private prayer lives. We desperately need that. Um, as I've said to other people before, um, it's not my saying, it's I borrowed it from someone else, we cannot give away what we first do not possess. So that private time that we're in prayer with the Lord and then we're sharing those prayers publicly, the power comes from that relationship, that intimate relationship. Again, Jesus often went away to a private place to pray. Here in Matthew 6, Jesus tells the disciples <coughs> to pray in secret, to go find that place. He, he gave us the model of what not to do, and now he gives us this model. Here's how it ought to look, this private thing, this intimate thing. And what do we find when we go to that secret, that private place? As was brought out last week, I mean, just really hammered into my heart that we find the Father waiting there for us. Waiting there for us to bless us, to speak to us, to minister to us, to pour out His gifts upon us. And in response, we ought to tune our hearts to His through prayer. We should magnify his name, making his kingdom known in our lives, asking for his kingdom to be present here, expressing his desire for others to know the reality of his kingdom and the power of his kingdom. As we do this, our needs are more clearly defined, and we ask then for provision. Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Understanding that he is our prayer. We learned that our greatest need is forgiveness. And to extend that forgiveness which we received to others. And our hearts then can be aligned with his and we learn the spirit is our source of strength to resist the temptations of this world. And this brings us now to tonight as we think about the importance of prayer. What is prayer? As we think about how we ought to pray, the question is now is, what is the power of prayer? Because I, I, I know that sometimes we experience these things where we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray and we don't see the fruit of that prayer and we can easily become discouraged. I don't know if you're like me, discouraged and say, well, when is this going to happen? But the power of prayer, now, there are many, many, many things and, or ways that the power of prayer can be seen or experienced. But tonight, I just want to focus on four. Four ways the power of prayer can be personally experienced. And the four things are the power of prayer promotes humility. It, it orients our priorities. It imparts purpose. And it provokes action. The power of prayer does these, th these things. 
At least it ought to. As, as Ryan mentioned in his first teaching on this series, that prayer is a spiritual discipline. It's work, isn't it? It's not always easy, but it is always fruitful. And I think as we look at this tonight, I think we can gain that understanding that it is always fruitful. It's one that cannot be done effectively by our own strength. In order to demonstrate a godly public prayer life requires us to be privately submitted to the Father through the Son by the power of the Spirit. We must begin by waiting on the Lord in that quiet place that has no distractions. And hopefully that's what we're going get to get to do tonight. In that place, when it is only the Lord and me, the, the Lord and you, when we've determined to surrender our hearts and mind to the creator of heaven and earth, calling upon his spirit to open our eyes, something changes. Not maybe, not possible. When we are in that mindset, something changes. The spirit the power of the Spirit is allowed to flow and begins His transforming work in us. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. How many of us have experienced anxiety this week? Man. I mean, we live in a world full of it. But you see, when we come to him in this mindset that he is the source, when we come to him in that quiet prayer, prayer then becomes a tool for humility. It, it aligns our heart rightly. If we were to look again at the model of prayer Jesus left for, the, for us in Matthew chapter 6, we would understand that when we approach the Father with a right view of who he is, we can clearly see who we are, both in the positive and the negative. That we can see our failures, our faults, our weaknesses, our sin, in light of his glory and majesty. You know, one of my very favorite Bible passages, the first one that I was ever challenged to, to memorize was, the, was Isaiah chapter 40, the whole chapter. Pastor Doug tasked me that when I first started attending CCSE. And this is from verse 21 and 23. You're familiar with it. Do you not know? Have you not heard the Lord? Or has it been not declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. We're getting a sense of who we are and who he is, right? Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He, I mean, he is so great that the best they could say is, is the heavens are like a little bitty tent. The universe is like a little small tent from Walmart. He, he it is who reduces rulers to nothing, who makes the judges of the earth meaningless. He has all authority and power. No one on this earth stands against him effectively. 
And then I go down to verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, uh, the creator of the ends of the earth does not become weary or tired? His understanding is inscrutable. He knows everything. And when we enter into that quiet place and we find the Father waiting there for us, that's who's waiting for us. That creator. And also the one who loves us. Even as we heard last week, as a father loves a child. It provokes in us humility. Hudson Taylor, he was a missionary to China in the 1800s. And he was scheduled to speak at a large uh, church in Australia. And the facilitator of the service introduced him with a whole lot of praise and, and admiration. He told the, the large gathering all that Hudson Taylor had accomplished in China. And then he presented him as, quote, our illustrious guest. And Taylor stood quietly for a moment at the podium, and then he opened his message by saying, Dear friends, I'm the little servant of an illustrious master. Now, what produced such humility in him? I would lay it before you that it was prayer. From his birth in 1832, his parents dedicated him to the God to God asking that he would someday be raised up to serve as a missionary to China. His conversion in 1849 at the age of 17, he began life, a life of believing in God through prayer, believing for the simplest things. His faith in God and, his, and God's provision led Taylor to study medicine, to study Greek, to study Hebrew, and yes, Mandarin. And all he had was the book of Luke in Mandarin. He would go on to serve four years initially in China and left only after he had some serious health issues. But that didn't stop him even from there. He, he founded the China Inland Mission. And that, that organization, that was in 1865, he would eventually return with his bride and 20 other couples, and eventually at his death, that organization would field 825 missionaries to China. This was no, no small amount of faith, but you see, when Hudson Taylor was in that private room of his own with the Lord, he was just a little servant of an illustrious master. From beginning to end, without a guaranteed paycheck, this is how he lived, with not one guaranteed paycheck, and often without visible means to accomplish what the Lord revealed to him in prayer, he walked by faith. Because he knew the person and character of the Father that waited for him in that private place. Prayer promotes humility in the hearts of those who seek him. Do I, do we have the right view of God and the right view of ourselves? Because where humility is applied, there is by natural function then 
a reorienting of priorities. I can say this from personal experience. At the age of 36, I sat under this little leafless old oak tree beside the, the Yam Hill River at Camp Yam Hill. And, and for the last eight years leading up to that, I had been running, running from the Lord. Uh, for Sam, and we shared this even just recently with another couple, for her, that eight and a half years was worse than when I was a non-believer. Bitterness, anger, pride, selfishness. I mean, they, they were just, they were like chains binding my heart and my mind. And sitting beside the river that day, I, I was observing and saw the effects of how the heavy rains of spring had changed the course of the river and left behind much debris. And through an hour of, because we, we, we were challenged to go spend an hour in the morning before anything else, an hour just with our Bibles and the Lord. It, read, read the word wherever, you would, wherever God would lead you and pray. And I, I, admittedly, I did not want to go I did not want to go to the men's retreat that year, but I went. But sitting there, as I read through the book of Jonah, and I looked at this torn up river, all I could see was my own path. The Lord opened my eyes again to see who he is. And I realized the futility of resisting the God who loves me. Have you ever felt that? I, I pray, perhaps, if you're in that place, that you would experience it. The futility of resisting him who loves you more than you can imagine. See, at that time, this is where the God, God just spoke so clear to me from Matthew chapter 6, verses 33. So I'm kind of jumping off where Mike left. Again, I've told you Matthew's going to get some playtime. It was, like that, it was like a hammer and chisel on those chains. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You see, despite my surrender to Jesus in 1990, or 1990, in the ensuing years leading up to that moment, I had attempted to add Jesus to my life. I often lived as if it was my life. Do you know that feeling? My dreams, my hopes, my goals, my desires, and God's job was to bless them. Sound familiar? Oh, I was willing to be a youth pastor, nothing more. And I gave it my heart and my soul. Here. I applied the principles of hard work, faithfulness, and sacrifice. But I forgot the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Verse 2 and 3, if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, what am I? I am nothing. 
And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to, the, to be burned, but do not have love, what does it profit me? Nothing. On the banks of the river, having read the, through the book of Jonah and asking the Lord to open my eyes, I knew my priorities were a mess. That what was important to God wasn't at the top of my list. And yeah, that day was like a fresh start again as I confessed my sin to God, asked Him to forgive me, surrendered fresh again. I remember telling God I would do whatever He asked of me. That's a scary thing. Do you know that? But in the same way, it is so freeing. Because if I know who he is, the character, that he being the best father won't give me a snake or a stone or a scorpion, he's going to give me the very best things of life. If I know that, then I say, I'll do whatever you ask of me. Suddenly becomes a great joy. Over the next three years, fishing and hunting took a back seat. Those were my gods. If you don't believe me, ask Sam. They took a back seat as I attempted to be a better husband and father. I began serving in the church again. I had the privilege of some of the sweetest three and a half years of ministry at the Springs, right down here on the road at Wom Webster Road at Clackamas Woods. And that became more satisfying than any, any monster trout or salmon or sturgeon or elk or deer that I could possibly harvest. Deeply satisfying. Because God was orienting my priorities. I didn't have to manufacture joy it was a natural product of prayers offered in humility and oriented my priorities. Are you experiencing that? Is God challenging you to experience that? He is still challenging me. There are still things that he wants me to let go of, set aside, or change. And I would say that that is true for all of us. He wants us to be more like himself. And that means, just like John said, I must decrease, right? If we are being humbled during prayer, when it is rightly orienting our priorities, then the power of prayer will impart purpose to our lives. We will discover our God-intended purpose. Now, Ryan mentioned it briefly, but this last week, four of us um, were sitting at the Costco food court enjoying a really gourmet meal. Um, I'm sure you've all done that. As I was eating, I was thinking about, out loud really, about Mike's message, and particularly the meaning about, of the word need. Because this is a curious thing. We think we have a lot of needs, don't we? If we're honest. And I pose the question, I pose it to you now. According to the Bible, biblically, what is it that we need? Now, don't answer that question. 
Ponder it for a moment. What is it that we need according to God? And Peter's words in 2 Peter 1.3 came to mind. He says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Here's what I want to ask you. Is it possible that all we need is life and godliness? All that we need is life and God. Let me explain that. Through his word, the word made flesh, offered as a sacrifice for our sin, my sin, and through his resurrection from the dead, I am made alive. When I profess this belief, when I put my faith in him <coughs> and his word, confessing my sin and surrendering my life, I'm made alive. His word, his life, and the power of his spirit are all I need for life and godliness. And here's the thing that hit me in that moment as we we're sitting there at the Costco food court, really theological place. The Lord does not promise us, does not promise me a life free from suffering, does he? No, in fact, he says we will suffer, 2 Timothy 3.12. The Lord does not promise I will never go hungry. Even Paul learned this, being content even while hungry, Philippians 4.11-13. The Lord doesn't promise me I will not die or suffer physical infirmities. Stephen, the very first martyr, learned that one. Paul learned it during his life on multiple occasions. And he speaks of it a day and night in the deep, shipwrecked, beatings, stonings, left for dead. What the Lord does promise is life. According to John 10.10, Jesus promised, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The Lord promises us eternal life and, while we're here on this earth, a life that is full of life. A life full of eternal purpose. 1 Corinthians 6.24, you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Now, now take a moment, just... We were joking about it earlier, but really, take a moment and close your eyes for just a moment. We were given eternal life and the glorious joy of telling others of our absolute need for rescue from death. More than that, our eyes are open to see the goodness of God in everything in life. Now imagine yourself in that private place of prayer. It's just you and the Father. When you walk into that place, you discover the Father in all his majesty and glory, and he is waiting there for you, and perhaps with a little bit of trembling, we enter that place. Now 
confidently living without fear now as we make his name known in every season and every circumstance of life. If we believe this to be true, then nothing in this life is wasted. Nothing in this life is wasted. No matter how senseless it seems or painful it may be. Because purpose is a matter of perspective. When our perspective is founded in godly humility and priorities, we can experience joy indescribable. Do you and I have that confident purpose in our life? Is that our anchor? When everything else is shifting sand and foamy waves? Is that our confidence? I know my purpose. I know who I am. I know who I belong to. And now to the final point, the power of prayer provokes us to action. And and not just any action, but actions aligning with the will of God. You see, because God commands us to always be prepared to give an answer, to give the gospel. 1 Peter 3.15. He commands us to make disciples, Matthew 29.19-20. To seek him with all of our heart, mind, and strength, Luke 10.27. And to love one another, John 13.34. And make no mistake, there are many more commands, but these are at the very heart of God. And when our hearts and minds are properly tuned through, the, through prayer, our actions then follow. Prayer informs our actions. Now, if you've been at a wedding or where I've been or a, a, a wedding of somewhere, someone else you know that I've been at, and you know how people have guest books or sometimes now the, big, the bigger rages like have a photograph and you sign the frame around it and people put their names... If you've ever noticed, and if you're here tonight and I was there at your wedding, go back and look at that, because I promise you what's on there is this. I would write it like if it was the picture, I always chose right in the middle, right under the picture, remember, dot, 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 in all things, dot, 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 praise him. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 through 18. This is what it says. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do you want to know what God's will is today for you? That you could say without a shadow of a doubt, unequivocally, confidently, boldly, this is the will of God. It's right here. It's simple. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks for everything. You see, because nothing is wasted in this life. He is using every little piece of it. The power of prayer can change us. It can cause us to rejoice in all things, to pray without ceasing, with humility, to give thanks for everything because we have right priorities. Revealing a purpose which is meant for His glory and our good. All the time. And this is the will for those who are in Christ. May it provoke us to action. Amen? 
So we're going to take some time. I know Josh is going to come up here and Lauren and Liam. We're going to take some time and we're going to pray together. So just like we did last week, maybe grab one or two people around you. But this is what we want to do. Keeping in mind these things. Spend our remaining time praying, remembering the gifts, the blessings, remembering even the hard and difficult circumstances we are currently in or have been in that challenge us to grow. Asking God, open my mind so that I would rightly see you, rightly see my life, and rightly see the circumstances that I would be able to see, man, I can rejoice in all these things. I can give thanks in all these things. Spend time rejoicing that we have a purpose beyond our jobs, beyond our roles as, as students or parents or husbands and wives, neighbors, whatever that may be. Again, ask the Father to open our eyes to see the truth of Him and this life and to see and express the joy that He says can be found in them. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's study. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit us for one of our services. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue in our study together.